Well, we'll continue our travels through Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 2, 15 and 16. And let's pray. Our Father, as we open your word, we need uh, you, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it, uh, to apply it, and to build our lives upon it. We ask that your working word would affect Christ's likeness in us this morning, and may we know just a little bit more about your mercy in justifying your people by your grace this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Stand for the reading of God's word, Galatians 2, 15 and 16. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. This is God's word. You be seated. If you recall from last week that we, we had the story of Paul calling out Peter uh, with regard to his hypocrisy, that he was eating with the Gentiles, um, not observing the, the food laws, and then the men from James came up and he, he, he uh, removed himself, sat aloof from the Gentiles, and uh, Peter called him out on that. And he said in verse 14, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, the quotation marks kind of in there in the ESV, and it's kind of a matter of question whether or not the rest of chapter 2 is a continued quotation from um, Paul to Peter or not. And I tend to think that it is. There's no great grammatical change that would indicate otherwise. Um, But either way, the main purpose is served, and that is to explain Paul's understanding of the gospel in light of the law and works and uh, justification. And really, either way, his target audience is uh, the the Galatians. Um, So really, the point is the same. Some have also pointed out that this passage, uh, specifically 15 through 21 to the end of the chapter, is the central point of Galatians. It's kind of the hermeneutical key to the rest of the book. And it's a passage that's actually um, sort of took me by surprise. I didn't quite realize the degree to which this is true, but engendered quite a lot of uh, passionate debate, and some of which we'll be able to cover in brief here this morning. Um, So the point of the passage, and this is actually one of the debated points, is what the point of the passage is, but how can we be made right with God? And of course the answer is justification by faith, apart from works. Justification has been called the article upon which the church stands or falls. And there's really an ever-present danger um, in the church and in history and within our lives to be attracted to works righteousness, to be attracted to self-righteousness. And of course, history proves this out over and over again. There's always a desire to move essentially away from monergism and into synergism. We can do more. And so the primary exhortation here is very simple. Uh, Believe in Christ alone to be justified. 
And we'll unpack these concepts as we go through this text. And really, that's a task that you could spend your whole life on, and really we do in many ways. Um, but as R.C. Sproul is really fond of saying that it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind, it's a theologian's prerogative to make distinctions. And this is a... Uh, this will be a sermon of making distinctions. We're getting into the section on justification and the law, and I want to lay some foundational groundwork and really make some distinctions and definitions as we go forward uh, this morning. So, again, the central theme, really a central theme in Paul, is this idea of justification. Justification apart from works. And if it's central to Paul, I think it needs to be central in our Christian faith and in our walk as well. So I hope that by the end of this season, which this will be a season of discussion on justification, that, that by the end of it we will each be more committed to the doctrine, um, better understand that relationship between law and gospel, uh, the, the errors of antinomianism and legalism, and that ultimately we'll be able to defend and explain these doctrines almost second nature. That, that's my hope. Um, so my plan for this morning is to begin by just explaining the text and defining the main idea. And then I want to get into some definitions, some distinctions that will help us understand the meanings of words and also begin to grapple with just a little bit of the difficulties over the doctrine of justification. And then we'll try to get into some application before we close. Um, So, beginning in verse 15, again, I'm just going to read the text again. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So that that first person plural seems to indicate he's still talking to Peter, most likely, and the other Jews. Um, And in essence, what he's saying here is... We're, we're born members of the sanctified covenant community. So it's, he's not saying Jews aren't sinful. We know from reading Romans he believes Jews are sinful. But they're, they're a part of the sanctified covenant people of God. And it's, it's almost like us saying we were born and raised in the church rather than into the sinful world which isn't indicative of our standing before God, but it's indicative of our cultural and covenantal standing. So he's saying, we're, we're Jews, we're part of the covenant. Number 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So even as Jews, they know they can't achieve justification by doing the works of their law, the, co- the covenant Mosaic law. Um, on the ba- they, they can't achieve justification by works of the law, which really I think is a radical statement considering that it's coming from Paul, who 15 years earlier was based on his zeal for the law, persecuting the church. It's really God's grace that, that he and Peter and the other Jews, they know from where justification comes. and not, It's not from works of the law, but by faith. 
And they know that, but they don't just know that. Their knowledge leads to action. So he goes on in verse 16. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. So they, as Jewish men, have turned uh, to Christ in faith for their justification, their right standing before God, and they've abandoned self-righteous works of the law for Christ. And Paul here kind of bookends this section in 15 and 16 with the same thought, uh, because nobody will be justified by works of the law. So Paul's point, if you failed to catch it, is justification is by faith in Jesus apart from works of the law. That that is to say, our right standing before God comes by way of believing in the saving work of Jesus without any of our own contribution or merit or obedience added to it. Justification is by faith alone. Now, let's... Go from here and dig into some definition and distinction. And here's where things start to get a little bit uh, dicey. What I just briefly explained and described to you is the basic historic Protestant Reformed interpretation of Paul on justification. And of course, there's always dissenters that have to make our life difficult. And I think by looking, taking time to look at, at some of these dissenting views, uh, we will, first of all, clarify our own understanding, and second of all, we'll be better prepared to deal with them in, in, in conversation and as we um, defend the faith. So these will be 30,000-foot overviews of these topics. Um, hopefully we'll get into them a little bit more as we go along through this series. But, of course, the first uh, dissenter, Uh, is the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic understanding of justification, in which justification is an infused righteousness, or people are made righteous, which is distinct from being declared righteous. And and in Roman Catholicism, justification is uh, given, rather, at baptism. And that is where people are made righteous. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says justification is not only the remission of sin, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. So justification is not just a legal declaration, but it is, in fact, a, a, a transforming and even a sanctification of the man. Now, another distinction in these verses that, that is controversial is this phrase, works of the law. And again, in Roman Catholicism, um, the, the Catechism says, Since the initiative belongs to God in, order, in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. So I hope you can see that there, that in Roman Catholicism, justification is an initial sort of shot in the arm, an an initial infusion of grace, and then that infusion of grace must then be maintained by the believer. And I, I suppose they get around verse 16 here by saying, well, justification is not by works. It comes beforehand through baptism. 
But when all is said and done in this system, the, our final standing before God is largely contingent upon our own maintenance of our own grace. I feel like I'm skimming right over that, but I'm going to move on. Um, There's so much more we could talk about there. A more modern challenge now to justification is what's often been called the new perspective on Paul. Um, And if you walk away from this explanation totally confused, join the club. (laughs) I'm okay with that. It is absolutely a confusing subject. Uh, And this is something that has been running through Reformed churches for a few decades now, primarily Reformed churches, and it continues to influence many people. It has had dramatic impact in the the so-called Federal Vision or Auburn Avenue spheres. And um, as a pastor, I feel like it would be kind of a failing on my part to just rush past the new perspective when this is a central a set of verses on the new perspective. Um, so I, I think it's valuable to, to discuss this, um, and it has does have potential to be harmful to the flock over the long term. So it's important for us to be aware of some of these things. And for one thing, it can be very attractive, I think, to to us who are very covenantal, who, who realize the, the severity and just the damage that individualistic Christianity has done to the church so that it can be very attractive to folks like us. Um, the, the PCA, our denomination, has formally denounced the new perspective on Paul, but I still think it has under, undercurrent influences um, in Presbyterian and Reformed circles as well as just kind of generally, particularly theonomistic Reformed-leaning circles. Um, So, in broad strokes, this movement began uh, with E.P. Sanders in the 1970s, wrote the book Paul and Palestinian Judaism, in which he re-examined first century Judaism. And what he discovered, or thought he discovered, um, was reading original sources, Judaism at the time was more grace-based, it was less works-based than we had originally thought. Our character of Judaism is a totally works-based system. But he, th- he thinks that that's incorrect. Um, so Paul, obviously, is often addressing Jewish, Jewish audiences, especially in Romans and, and, uh, or, or Jewish-related topics in Romans and Galatians, um, about the relationship of justification and works. And because we had been misreading uh, the context, we've been misreading Paul. So that's where that idea comes from, the new perspective on Paul. And so what he, he says is basically we've been reading uh, Paul through a Reformation lens. That is to say, Luther was so caught up in his controversy over works and justification that we've been reading Paul through the, through the lens of Luther. Uh, so, according to Sanders, what Paul and the Jews were actually more concerned with is the question of, rather than how are we right before God, is who's in and who's out of the covenant. So the question at the center of the squabble really between Peter and Paul here in our previous text was less about what made people right with God and more about what are the 
boundary markers? Are people, uh, is Peter making peop, uh, people adhere to Old Testament covenant boundary markers? That's the question that Sanders believes Paul was on about. Are we confused? We can talk more about this and I can send uh, articles or something if, you, if you'd like. Um, so, from E.P. Sanders, scholars like James Dunn um, and, and popularly N.T. Wright have taken up uh, the mantle. And there's not unanimity between these men. There's a lot of uh, vari- variation in their theology. But N.T. Wright, who's this really a scholar and an exegete on a level that's miles above where I'm at, um, but he, he's been primary in popularizing the ideas of the new perspective. And uh, I've spent some time listening to Wright and how he understands Paul. And, and my best guess at what, how he would interpret the verses that we're looking at this morning is something like this. We know that a person is not vindicated as a member of God's new covenant by old covenant Jewish boundary markers, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Not vindicated as a member of God's new covenant by old covenant Jewish boundary markers, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He actually has a couple of translations of the New Testament. One of them is a more of a paraphrase in which this is his translation. But we know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah. That is why we too believed in the Messiah, Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. So, for right, justification is really more of a vindication of your new covenant standing in the new covenant, if I understand him rightly. And so then it's not based on the, or it, and that, that standing is based on the faithfulness of Jesus, not on old covenant boundary markers like circumcision or food laws. Um, and there's an element of truth to Wright's understanding, but it, it radically changes the emphasis, and in my opinion, leaves us with some very unsatisfying answers to questions like how is a sinner made right with God? And, and the, the question of emphasis is important. Uh, as Lloyd-Jones said, we have somehow got a hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. And we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. Um, so what we see in the, in the new perspective, and I think this helps clarify our own position, there, there's three major differences of definition in, between what I presented in the historical Reformed Protestant interpretation and, and the new perspective. And the first is that ju- justification is really more vindication of new covenant membership. Second is that works of the law are narrowly defined as Jewish boundary markers. And third is faith in Jesus is, is translated and interpreted as the faithfulness of Jesus. <sighs> I'm tired. <laughs> okay, so there's a number of things that I appreciate about the new perspective. Uh, they rightly call us and call out blind spots within us. Uh, cultural 
analysis when interpreting the scripture is it's always easier to just put everything in one box and draw your application out of that and that's not a reality their point is good that Jewish um, the degree to which the Jewish religion was legalistic or grace-based there's probably a spectrum there like there is for us now and so we have to be careful in our own interpretations and it's good that they have called that out Um, another thing I appreciate is the strong emphasis on an objective and covenantal membership which again in an age of individualism in the West is, is very refreshing but we have to be careful there is not to go too far and to exclude the notion of God's salvation of individual people the subjective salvation the subjective membership in the covenant um, which is a major influence here on, on the objectivity of the covenant is a major influence on uh, the federal vision which hopefully we'll get into more later but it, it fails to make a proper distinction between the visible and invisible church or the wheat and the tares in the church so with all that I think the best balance is found in the traditional covenant theology of the reformation um, so the problem with new perspective as far as I can tell first of all it seems to be a theological novum it seems to be new <laughs> and if anytime there's something new we should be suspicious I think it also seems to be making an attempt to make some sort of a patch between Protestant and Roman Catholic views on justification, which is a divide I think best left divided. I'm happy to get together with Roman Catholics, but Red Rover, Red Rover, come on over. You know, I, I'm not willing to go to the middle on justification. And as I said, it really leaves us with some very unsatisfying understandings of salvation and justification, the cross, atonement, obedience, all have to be redefined to make the system work. Also, the new perspective has a dual stage justification where we're initially justified, but then on the final day we'll be justified again based on our covenant faithfulness, based on our works, and rather than the works of Christ. That's probably not a fair way of saying that but that's generally the idea we're brought into the covenant of grace by, by grace but we stay in the covenant by faithfulness that, I think that is a fair way of saying it Carl Truman's helpful here he says to put it bluntly it seems to me that the current revision of the doctrine of justification as formulated by the advocates of the so called new perspective on Paul is nothing less than a fundamental repudiation not just of that protestantism which seeks to stand with the creedal and doctrinal trajectories of the reformation but also of virtually the entire western tradition on justification from at least as far back as Augustine so again, if you walk away from this saying, I'm really confused about the new perspective on Paul, uh, that's a good place to start, I think. Uh, and that's, that's maybe my primary critique, is that these men who are such accomplished scholars, very articulate, and they write these great big tomes about these things, leave even scholars scratching their head. And, and, if, and then they complain when they're misunderstood. I think if you see some errors in traditional theology, make, you can correct them, but make sure you're clear. And there is a, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this whole thing. So I, I wish they would be clear. All of that to say, you can see that Roman Catholicism, new perspective on Paul, these friends of ours who hold these positions, uh, make our lives more difficult when we talk about justification by faith alone.
And again, we've only scratched the surface on these controversies, but uh, I want to move on to positively define our own terms here. So first of all, justification. Um, Justification in Paul is forensic. It is legal. So it's not covenantal. It's legal. That is, um, in justification in Paul is um, where God is an action of God in which He declares us to be righteous. He doesn't infuse us with righteousness; rather, He credits righteousness to our account. Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism 33 asks, "What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace." wherein he pardoneth all our sins, accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. So there you go. There's the, the, the traditional Reformed interpretation of what is justification. And we see that it's forensic in Romans 8.33. And here, here the, the court language here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So justification is God's forensic act of declaring sinners righteous based on the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now to define works of the law, um, I, I would say that in this text works of the law are really any part of God's law. We think of the Mosaic law, that seems obvious. You know, in, in Galatians, the food laws, circumcision, those things are obviously the works of the law. Nobody's justified by doing those. But neither are we justified by keeping the moral law. Um, Paul in the epistles confesses his own covetousness, which is a, a breaking of the Ten Commandments, and yet he's still justified. Or who among us has lived up to what Michael read for the law and, and the greatest commandments, which is the moral law. So the moral law, the Mosaic law, the ceremonial civil law, none of the law can justify um, because no one can keep it to its fullness. And as Paul says later in Galatians, if you're going to keep one, you have to keep them all. But on the other hand, Jesus, who was born under the law, who came and fulfilled all righteousness, he's the person who kept the law. So I'd say I'd define works of the law as just any work we are called to by God's law. None of that can justify us. Now finally, faith in Christ. Um, the way the New Perspective translates it by the faithfulness of Christ is totally a legitimate translation. Um, but to me, it makes no sense if justification means forensic declaration of righteousness apart from works. Rather, faith is the instrument God has chosen to unite us to Christ. And that is a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. So in Romans 4, we've seen that if we have faith in God, Um, We're declared righteous, reckoned righteous, just like Abraham. Um, And saving faith is an expression of both word and of deed. So we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. But we also take those things and act in them. So we walk in faith uh, like the the men and women of Hebrews 11. All of those things they did in faith were actions. So faith in Christ... um, 
And here again, the, the confession is helpful in defining this. The principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Okay, all that was was definition and distinction. So let's spend, spend a few moments um, just kind of bringing this home and what does this really mean um, to us. So he, here's what my... My uh, N.T. Wright got to his, his voice and his paraphrase, so I'm going to give my paraphrase. Uh, yet we know that a person is not legally declared righteous by his own meritorious law-keeping, but through faith in the work and merits of Jesus Christ on his behalf. We are justified by faith apart from works. Now, a few points of application we can draw from this uh, foundational Christian doctrine. Um, First, I think the application for Paul in addressing Peter here is God's plan of salvation crosses ethnic and cultural boundaries. In essence, we're all justified the same way. And I think we can make the same mistake that that Peter did based on race or perhaps social or economic class. You know, the the only hope for that poor soul is that if God works in his life, right? That's going to be the attitude, well, what what about us? Or perhaps, you know, the most put-together person... if we've grown up in the church, perhaps we have our own understanding of doctrine. We can find ourselves with a, a false sense of security. Time in the church or our understanding of the doctrine do not equate to spiritual maturity. And just because we understand all the fine systematic details of justification does not mean we're justified. A second application that being declared righteous uh, really frees us to live in obedience. When we're declared righteous, we're not bound to a, a system of merit whereby we have to earn God's favor. Rather, we're free from that and free to obey. So the works of the law that we do keep are actually done out of gratitude and anticipation of our eternal hope rather than a, a desire to live up to Dad's expectations, if you will. third uh, point of application here is that it places on us a call to become what we are. So if we're declared righteous, um, I think so many times the problem with justification is that it gets all mixed up with sanctification and we need to recognize they're very much connected, but they're distinct. We're declared righteous and there is a process by which we're becoming righteous. Justification is that one-time act of God whereby we're declared righteous. Sanctification is an ongoing work of God whereby He progressively transforms us into the image of His Son. So we should seek to become what we are. We should seek to become holy as He is holy, doing good works which proceed from a living faith, as James teaches us. Uh, fourth point of application is that it motivates uh, proper evangelism. Uh, we encounter oftentimes a person in need, again, and our first instinct is to fix them, to, to get them up on their feet, to help them maybe change destructive habits, and maybe that's all we can do in the moment, and that's fine. But 
Paul says here, no one will be justified by works of the law. So helping a person in a material way is really a small thing to help somebody materially when what we can do is present the word of Christ to them that they could have faith and be justified. Or conversely, we would be I, I'm more hesitant to share the gospel with a person who seems to have it all together. Um, you know, but those are people who are probably prone most often to self-righteousness and they need the gospel just as much as somebody whose life is in a shambles. Uh, fifth point of application here is it helps us to probe our own hearts. So just to ask ourselves, are we living out a works-based gospel? Or are we standing on the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? And sixth and final one, it it promotes the glory of God. Justification by faith alone, apart from works, removes all boasting, all all synergism from salvation. As Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So I'm, I'm going to close uh, with Paul from, from Titus here, Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen.